Hi, welcome to Full Release with Samantha B. Hopefully you'll experience one by the end of this. Around the time we are recording this episode, members of Congress should be getting back to work after a long recess, and that means several more months of Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin telling us they won't change their minds about the filibuster. But just because the world seems to be in rerun mode right now when it comes to everything from the pandemic to relitigating the 2020 election, doesn't mean here at full release we won't keep feeding your ear holes with the good stuff. And by that, I mean positive, illuminating conversations with people I admire and who know the value of a good vaccination. I'm joined as always by my producers, Svia Baron reinstein and Adam Howard. Okay, podcast gals, we've got film and television star Bradley Whitford on today's show. And I'm wondering what political event or moment from the past four-ish years do you think would inspire the best movie or TV series? Mm. 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 Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a thinker. Yeah, I'm not sure that Bradley Whitford would necessarily be in this. Okay. But I feel like I would love to see an animated series about Katie Porter's whiteboard. Oh, wow. That's a million dollar idea. <laughs> That's a million dollar idea. Maybe a two million dollar idea. Maybe. That's a great idea. Okay, well, TM, you pitched that. That's like just saying it on a podcast is like pitching it in a room and someone can't just take that idea. You are not allowed to take that idea and run with it. Other people, television makers who are also listening to this podcast. (laughs) This is where people come to get their ideas before (laughs) pitching it. All the makers and the shakers. (laughs) Adam, what would you make? What would you Yeah, serialize? I have a couple. One okay. is serious and one is silly. The serious wow. one, yeah, I well, know. Well, mine was obviously serious. Yeah, yeah, yours was great. Mine are both gold. It's like there's they're mostly negative, but... Okay, oh, great. <laughs> I feel like there could be a really good serious film made about the um, Dr. Ford testimony and the, oh. the whole Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. I guess Bradley Whitford could play Kavanaugh, actually. Oh my uh, god, this is horrible. Don't let him hear you say that. I know, but I just I just thought it was such a oh, like no. insane indicative chapter of of what that was all about and just this weird moment of nobody at least at the time. I feel like now there'd be plenty of Republicans who'd be comfortable just saying she was a liar, but they weren't then, so they just were like she just doesn't remember it right. Like we know her memory better than she does, and I just felt like that's something that I want memorialized for history, but a funnier one for me I would love to see uh, like an inside the room, like recreation of when Trump got COVID, because Mm -hmm. I just thought that was such an amazing (laughs) thing that we all just kind of forget about. But like the president of the United, like for a few days, we were like, is he going to die? Like, is the president of the United States going to die? And he's so proud that would he like deny the fact that he is potentially dying and then right. all these people in the room begging him to get medical attention and him saying, I don't want to do that because it'd make me look weak. <laughs> wow. I just think it would be so entertaining to watch like a Ryan Murphy style <laughs> American crime story. You know, Trump has COVID. Or oh, my God. This is so interesting. So all of those are greenlit, Sam? We're going to do this? All greenlit. Television makers. You know what? I just have the power to get things greenlit. I just like waltz into a place and I go, you play this. I start casting. The crown was you. You did all those shows. (laughs) I would watch all those shows. Do you think that people are in the mood to see any of these moments memorialized? (laughs) 
you know, I'm I think wondering. people will watch anything. I think like That's so true. Like we've gone through so much TV right. in the past year and a half that like I'm to, I'll I'll watch anything now. So yeah. I think I we did. should do it. That's true. Give the people I did, what they want. Um, I was watching something and then an ad came on for a show where people wear monster masks or animal masks oh, and then sexy beasts. To... That's what it's called. <sighs> That's what it's called. Is it a dating show? Yes, it is. So they wear animal masks and they're like, let's fuck. Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> There's <laughs> Okay. All right. This is different than the people who get it. What are those people? Furries. It's not like furries. It's not though. like furries. It's just people who are just disguising their gorgeous faces, I assume. <laughs> so, okay. Can can Bradley Whitford as Brett Kavanaugh in a really serious, serialized, made-for-TV, like, like limited series, can that limited series <laughs> <laughs> exist in a world where people wear monster masks and fuck each other <laughs> and win like a hundred dollars. And then, uh, yes, like, the year is 2021. <laughs> anything okay. is possible. Yeah. Oh, his, his Emmy clip would be like pounding the podium and saying, I like beer. <laughs> I like beer. I like beer. Okay. <laughs> and with that, uh, an ad for beer. No. <laughs> yeah, we are going to squeeze in a quick break here, and then we are going to get to it because we have Bradley Whitford coming up. Oh, boy, you're not going to want to miss this. Joining me today is longtime film and television star Bradley Whitford. He first became a household name thanks to his Emmy-winning role as Deputy White House Chief of Staff Josh Lyman on the iconic series The West Wing, but he's also starred in a string of eclectic hit movies, like hit movies over the years, like The Cabin in the Woods, The Post, Get Out, and Billy Madison, just to name a few. And most recently, he's been playing a complex recurring character on the dynamic and disturbing Hulu series The Handmaid's Tale, for which he is currently Emmy-nominated. In his not-so-free time, he also served as an executive producer for the inspiring documentary Not Going Quietly. God, share the wealth, man! Welcome to the show, Bradley Whitford. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good. Oh, thanks for saying yes. Oh, my pleasure. Nice. How's your dad? Oh my God. (laughs) What did my dad do? Did he... Did he accost you? <laughs> the, he, not the White House correspondent. It was a crazy night. Oh, but God. man. Okay. What a what a tiger he is. He is a tiger. Ron B. <laughs> I you know what? I wasn't expecting to enter this conversation and immediately start talking about Ron B. But I'm happy that we are. He's gonna be very I had fun with him. Okay, thank you. God bless you. He <laughs> he definitely is very into you. And so thank you for, <laughs> thank you for being so. That's all it takes. Yeah, being That's so generous with your time. So where, okay, tell me where you are. You're in front of an impressive bookcase full of books. I am in my little office here. Very nice. Oh, it's nice. In Pasadena. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm on the floor in the bedroom of a rented house. And so. Are, are you in some legal trouble? Are I'm, you okay? <laughs> I'm always in legal trouble. For truly, what are we doing if we're not in some type of? I love legal... that you're sitting on the floor holding a... holding a, mic, a holding... stick mic, like an absolute a... dork. 
I'm so glad no one can see this, but I'm double fisting a stick mic. This is what happens, <laughs> kids, to the AV squad. The, oh, God, you are not you are not exaggerating. I'm sitting on a like a back pillow on the floor because there's no other places where I can plug into the internet in this anyway we're in a rented house it's fine it's all very nice behind me and i'm glad that we're no your life is going great everything's going, going great. great there's really nothing to <laughs> complain about the lower back is a little stressed but we're gonna make it through okay, okay. so where are you at season four of handmaid's tale you just got picked up for a fifth season of the handmaid's yes. tale amazing Ooh, it's amazing i love that show do you, does it creep you out a little bit? Well, for sure it creeps me out. I mean, it's supposed to. It accomplishes it accomplishes its mission of creeping me out. You know what's so funny? You're Canadian, are you not? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you uh, fulfill the stereotypes. Mm -hmm. uh, you are part of a, a people who are stereotypically, genetically, the sweetest human beings on the planet. <laughs> Don't and overestimate us. So <laughs> What's so funny on that show is the material is so brutally dark. And then the contrast with these very sweet people in the crew where like the AD will come in and say, uh, you know, okay, um, <laughs> I don't want to rush you, but I think we should get the nooses on the girl, you know? <laughs> <laughs> or, okay. or like the camera guy will go, uh, you need to spread your legs or we can't see the commander. Sorry. Oh, you know, my God. Like that's that. so funny. Do you mind? We're going to invite you back to set and I'd love to offer you a butter tart on your on your break. <laughs> have you tried? Have you eaten butter tart? I mean, you spend a lot of time in Canada. I have not had a butter tart. What, what the hell? What? What is it? Oh, God. It's like if you took all the finest qualities of a pecan pie and made it individual sized. They technically have raisins, but it's just like a syrupy, delicious. With nuts? There's no nuts. You can have it. Well, you can have it nuts if you want, but uh, okay. it, it's mostly no, I thought maybe that was, I'm <laughs> allergic to nuts. Oh, so well, you're a, if it had, you're the perfect candidate. Yeah. I can't believe this isn't <laughs> happening. It's an oversight. It's an absolute Canadian outrage. I'm freaking it's, out uh, right now. Uh, I'm going to talk to Jess. Damn it. And I'll, I'll get that remedy. So you have fun on the set. You are able to enjoy. It is oddly one of the sweetest atmospheres. And Lizzie is about as easygoing. It's very bizarre because she's doing Sophie's Choice, the series, yes. you know, it's a Dante poem with one direction south, but she like, uh, like you'll be on the set with her. She's works like a dog. She'll be on her phone, like going over notes, you know, for the next script and listening to music. And you'll, you'll say, hey, uh, Lizzie, Lizzie, we're rolling. And she's like, Oh, sorry. And then just, oh. you know, just explodes. But there is, it, it's, it confirms for me, I don't know about other actors, but I don't think it ever helps to take acting seriously. Right. I, I really, I, I'm being sort of facetious, but I'm, but I'm not. No matter what the material is, I think you're in a better space if you're diminishing the importance of it and creating an atmosphere that feels more like recess mm. than feels like school. 
100% agree with you. I 100% agree with you. And I've always been very, I don't know, it creeps me out a little bit when people are like, I have to be in this character. I have to go to the stop and shop in an absolute rage because my character is in a, you know what I mean? You're like, can you just be, can this just be a job? I really think it becomes, um, and again, oddly, no matter what the material, I mean, I remember realizing there was, there's a great Shakespearean actor named Hank Warren. So I worked with early on and, you know, he's, we're doing these, you know, very intense Shakespeare scenes. And he would just sort of fuck around as much as humanly possible. And it put him in a much freer state. I mean, why become an actor if you're going to take it seriously? You know what I mean? It's, pl- it's supposed to be playtime. It's supposed to be Yeah, they're fun. called plays. Plays. Hello. Yeah. I find Elizabeth Moss to be so, um, it's like, it's a true, it's a calling. Like, what else could she possibly do on this earth other than what she's I, doing? I got to say, it's, uh, it's, you know, I met her when she was 17. Wow. And she was the president's kid on, on West Wing. And then I get to meet up with her 20 years later. And I, I'm not, you know, blowing smoke up her ass. She, she, she is so impressive. I mean... Many actors are producers on shows and, you know, you take the credit and the Mm -hmm. check and you let the writers and everybody else, you know, do what they want. She is there. uh, She is the creative center of that show. She knows every draft. She knows every camera angle. She just she just works. I've never seen anybody, uh, you know, sort of engage Mm -hmm. like that. And on top of it all. Again, she's very loose about it all. Right. I mean, it's it doesn't it does it doesn't uh, it doesn't feel precious. And it's been very interesting this year because I realized that my character doesn't know it. But what's interesting about this year, my relationship with her is she is leading me. She's leading my character, right. and it's just sort of a, a kind of sweet coincidence and amplifier that that is truly what is you know what is going on between us. Do you have any input creatively into your kit? Because, you know, once the source material was, once the, the source material was exhausted and then the, the next book came out and that became somewhat the basis for the subsequent seasons, like, do they come to you and go, oh, what do you think about this? I think it's because, you know, my first kind of big TV experience was with Sorkin mm-hmm. and, uh, my my feeling, with rare exceptions, my feeling is when people are writing that well, leave them alone, is how I mm-hmm. feel. And it's, it's certainly paid off in this. I absolutely have moments with this character where I'm uh, disappointed about the kind of direction right. that it seems like he's going. But then it's always, uh, you know, kind of paid off. It's one of the great things about about doing TV. One of the many great things about doing TV is you have this ongoing relationship and you discover who you are. Mm -hmm. You know, you're always building the plane while you're kind of up in the air, which is Mm -hmm. fun. How has it been for you shooting during a global pandemic? I don't think the pandemic is is real, Samantha. Oh, I really thank God. I'm so no, glad you said yeah. that because that's what this no. podcast is about. <laughs> yeah, it's such a, a liberal 
no, it was, uh, I actually, uh, we were just talking about this, a group of us, because there was something about the show this year. I was such a fan of the book that I read, you know, when it came out in like 85. And I always had this deep insecurity okay. that, uh, I don't know if you've ever struggled with any insecurity, <laughs> but, me? No. uh, no, uh, uh, but I'm always scared whenever the show is about to come out that maybe it should have ended before my character came on. <laughs> <laughs> so I always have that fear and it gets worse year after year. Okay. And then this year there was something about the way the show was received. But as I was watching it with my wife, I kept turning to her saying, everybody's blood is flowing. Everybody's good. Uh, uh, you know, Lizzie was, uh, uh, you know, all over the place. And there was a freedom to everybody from Lizzie, you know, to a day player hooker at, at Jezebel's. And there was something about, I think, the writing paying off because although my character seems maybe more on an ethical high wire than other characters. Actually, all of them are. Okay. And that writing, uh, that complexity and those cross currents and all the characters, I think allows it to sort of pay off mm. four years in. But there was also this, you know, the, uh, there's this sort of quiver underneath it of what we were going through. Right. And once you finally got onto the set, there was a kind of abandon because you were so grateful to be back in there. Right. Also, every time I went, I ended up going up twice and it was uh, the Canadians. I don't know if you know this are, are very careful people. Very. So it was two week quarantine. So I was in a high rise by uh, what's it called? Billy Bishop Airport. Billy Bishop Airport. Yep. Oh, you were down there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was down there. So it was basically a month alone like totally alone and i live in a house with my wife my kids are coming in and out i have dogs and animals and suddenly i'm up overlooking the lake and and the isolation it got really weird and pathetic because i there were binoculars it was like an airbnb thing but they had binoculars because we're, we're up high and i caught mm -hmm. my, i caught myself i caught myself looking at a dog being walked and i knew oh. it got walked at like 10 30 in the morning and and, and i'm like uh, you know clocking oh wow you know the akita took a poop today yes. i mean it was really sad and lonely and then even when we got out you couldn't travel back and forth so i would yeah. go to that dog park down by the lake and i would go every day and uh you know, they're regulars at dog parks. And yeah. this very sweet Canadian woman came up and said, uh, I see you here every day. Which one's yours? And I said, oh, oh, I don't I don't have a dog here. I, I'm just away from mine. I, I miss it. And she walked away like I was a pederast at a, at right. a volleyball game. I'm just yeah, like, yeah. I'm just here to watch. I yeah, want to watch like to, you I walk like, your dog. I like to watch. <laughs> I like to watch. Uh, when you talk, I, I like the way your mouth moves. <gasps> oh, my God. Okay, well. Yeah, it was really sad. <laughs> I definitely, well, my husband did a movie. He went to 
Grand Cayman and filmed something there and had to do that same two week quarantine in a single hotel room, like looking at the beach, you know, like just observing it from afar. And there were days in there, like mid quarantine, where there seemed to be no hope. And he was just shirtless pacing around, like doing circles around the furniture, just like seeing shadows jump behind the uh, I realized too that like during during the pandemic, like mid late morning streaming mm-hmm. of another episode is like the pandemic's version of day drinking. Like I've already yes. seen The Sopranos three times, but right. I'm going to watch a couple. Yeah, it's very sad. <laughs> and then I don't know about you, but did you have hopes for your well you were working through the whole thing i worked i definitely i worked i mean we definitely kept working and we just filmed the show Yeah, you were out in the yard yeah we were in the yard we we made it work we only went down one of our scheduled shows over the whole course of the pandemic i mean thank thank goodness but we had you know, we shoot the show differently. And I also happen to be married to someone who's a television director and who knows how to make things look like television, even when it's right. We didn't really have the tools to do so. So together, all of those experiences making independent movies in our house in Toronto <laughs> added up <laughs> to being able to kind of pull it off. But that was Is that where you guys lucky. met? Is he from Toronto? I'm from Toronto and he's from Hamilton, which is Toronto's sister oh, sure. steel city, just down the lane. So, and uh, uh, oh, oh God, I miss my family so much. The border's still so crazy. But they're <laughs> there. They just opened it up a little bit. They did. They did. And the moment they opened it, we, we we've been scrambling to get people to and fro. It's been very difficult. Although Ron B, yeah. your biggest fan, is yes. now in the United States with me. So I can't even, his, well, his ego is going to be off the charts that you brought him up. Off the charts. You've made him impossible. You've destroyed my father. Well, if he wants to, you know, meet at a national park and, I don't know, do some (laughs) Greco-Roman wrestling, I'm I'm there. Just go on a journey. Okay, what are you most excited to be doing? Because, okay, oh, I want to talk about your documentary, first of all. So you, okay, you're a writer. You're obviously an actor. And you are a director. Entertainer. You're an entertainer. You're like the full, you're the full scope. The whole, you're the triumvirate. You're the triple threat. Okay. Nick. You're a dancer. You're a singer. You do everything. You're a mime. I love. That's how you got your start. Potting. Yes. yes. (laughs) You're a potter. It was so scary to talk for the first time on stage after 30 (laughs) years of silence. What are you most excited to be doing? What are you loving now? What are you most excited to be doing now? Um, uh, uh, da, 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 uh, there's some writings. Deep down, I always disrespect myself because I feel like I, I want to be writing more. But it's very clear to me how much, um, you know, I'm like Scarface about like acting. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, give me more. Give me more. It's never going to. Mm-hmm fill the God-sized hole in my soul. <laughs> right. But I get crazy when I, uh, when I don't get to do it. I, I, you know, there's a lot of different uh, stories uh, that I'm excited about telling. And I shouldn't always be the one. There's a lot of stories I shouldn't be writing. This story of not going quietly yeah. came to me. Uh, this is a documentary that's coming out. Um, 
that I love. Uh, Audie Barkin is a guy who I've done a bunch of political stuff with. Mm -hmm. And I met him. We were doing a thing at uh, Senator Feinstein's office in West L.A. And I met him. And uh, for people who don't know, when Audie was 31 or 32, Hillary was clearly, I don't know if, you remember, but was clearly going to become the president. Oh, I think I remember something about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something about that. And he was chosen by her to reform the Federal Reserve. His wife had just gotten tenure. Uh, she's a literature professor at uh, UCSB. And he had a baby and he couldn't believe how lucky he was living in paradise. His wife had security, the beautiful family. And then he dropped a spoon at his anniversary dinner and within a week uh, was diagnosed with ALS. And the interesting thing about this, uh, when I met him, he could stand momentarily. His speech was elongated. Mm -hmm. And he was one of the funniest human beings. There were a bunch of actual... Nazis, like Nazi Nazis, um, uh, counter protesting us. Adi was like, you know, uh, put me in the chair, put me out front. Let's make a Nazi punch the guy with ALS and get <laughs> get a picture of it. And I just, I, I, I fell in love with him. He actually ended up performing when Amy and I got married. He he performed the ceremony. Oh. Anyway, bef right before that, I found that a crew had been following him, a guy named Nicholas Bruckman. Okay. And Adi was really pivotal. Uh, interesting thing about Adi is how effective and, and kind of pragmatic he is. And he was using his diagnosis and his deterioration as, as a weapon to bring up the issue of healthcare in this country. Mm -hmm. Samantha, I don't know if you know, but unlike Canada, uh, we don't... <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, think that everybody deserves uh, health care. Yeah. And he is just this, uh, you know, there are very few people, not to be too corny about it, but there are very few people who, when struck with unimaginable suffering, see that as an opportunity to alleviate it in others. Right. They build, you know, religions around people like that. So he's this striking guy. I heard there was a film crew following him. They had hundreds of hours of film, and I just sort of steered them to the Duplass brothers, who are friends of mine, okay. who know what they're doing in the in the uh, documentary world. And it came together beautifully. It's heartbreaking. It's really funny and strikingly optimistic. And he right. really embodies, uh, to me, um, you know, I worry about young people now have every right to be cynical uh, mm -hmm. uh, about politics. The planet is on fire. Inequity is systemic. But the problem is, um, from my weird vantage point of, you know, show business, but I've been involved in progressive causes for a long time. Yeah. One of the problems we, we have, the right understands that uh, what I think for all their hypocrisy about small government, they understand that politics is the way you create your moral vision. We tend to think it's what we do, culture. And culture's great, but will and grace won't help you if you have a pre-existing condition. 
you have to pass a law. And the right, because they are basically pursuing what I think is just a business agenda shrouded in, you know, a cultural camouflage. Politics is not an extracurricular. They are involved every day. And for us, we we need to be, you know, it takes, you know, a, a nine minute lynching that we cannot take our eyes off of to bring us to to action, to diagnosis, uh, which is very, very, very important. But often we don't do the treatment, which is um, a lot, you know, has a lot more, you know, sort of compromise. It's frustrating. It's slow. You need to remain engaged. And Adi is somebody who, for me, and I hope for other people, reignites that that fact that um, for all the difficulties we are facing, you know, the future is an act of our own creation. I, I just love him to, to to pieces, and I can't wait for people to see it. Oh, my God. I have not watched it yet, and I cannot wait to see it. You'll see, too. You sh- like, if you, uh, he's he's an incredible guest. He You have to give him the questions. You know, he's able to write with his eyes. Right. But he is uh, mischievous and funny and self-deprecating. I love him very much. Do you, I mean, I think like keeping people's levels of engagement high is very yes. difficult to do. Ooh. It is nearly impossible. I, w- I was at a thing, a, you know, DEFCON 5, you know, Hollywood progressive cabal sure. event. And somebody stood up and said to to uh, one of the speakers, you know, we did everything you said to do. You know, we came out and uh, we showed up and, you know, we're still dealing with these intractable issues, you know, that haven't been solved. And I'm in the back saying, yeah, it's never going to end. You know, uh, greed is is permanent. You know, uh, I just some stuff with Stacey Abrams who says this really wonderful thing, which is that young people, and it's frustrating, but young people and progressives need to understand that voting is not magic; it's medicine. Right. Uh, for these, um, you know, permanent diseases, but they will never. Uh, you know, if if you don't participate, you're sentencing yourself to a gulag dictated by those who do participate. And those guys are, you know, the business interests. But it's very tough. Very tough. And I do feel like from my own perspective, I feel like I keep bringing up the midterms to people. (laughs) Oh, God. And you can see people just blanch. Like, everyone's like, no, 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 we did it. It did enough. We got this. And I feel like we are... (laughs) In We're an inch away. I, I, like we should, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, you know what's scary about uh, Trumpism is, I, you know, access Hollywood t- happens, and you're like, oh, oh, well, that's it. And then, um, you know, lies about <laughs> the size of a crowd, and you're like, yeah. oh my god, that's it. And then Charlottesville, and you're like, oh, that's it. And then one impeachment, that's it. Two, mm-hmm. that's it. No. 
oh, he lost the election. That's it. No. January 6th. No. I worry that the threat of that is is growing. And unless we have more engagement than we had before, we're definitely going to lose the House. And then they'll, you know, impeach Kamala. Oh, God. Do you do you are you surprised that you spend your days fighting fascists on Twitter? <laughs> Is this where you thought you'd be when you were? No, no, Uh, it's awful. No, I no, I don't. I I don't think it's helpful. I don't think fighting fascists on Twitter is helpful. I mean, Twitter's for like just you know swinging. It's just punching, blowing off steam. Yeah, or getting steamed, or getting steamed. Yeah, it's a constant. uh, Look, nothing compares in this country to what happened um recently uh, excluding slavery uh you know nothing compares with what happened in germany uh but i now understand in a way i didn't before how a civic virus uh can make people crazy what's just amazing to me like i'm sure people yell at you because you know we we both wear makeup for a living Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what do we know about politics? It is amazing to me that (laughs) those people have embraced the biggest asshole in the history of show business, which is a tough, tough crowd. Imagine if I was doing an interview, you know, a show business interview, and I said, okay, you're recording. Good. Here's what you need to know about me. Your readers need to understand that I am incredibly rich. (laughs) And the reason I'm so rich is, uh, Samantha, this is very important. Okay. I am the greatest actor who ever lived. I don't know if you saw my work in Revenge of the Nerds 2, sure. colon, Nerds in Paradise, but everything I do is brilliant. Yeah. Now, if I said that, my idiotic, inconsequential show business career would instantaneously and justifiably be over. (laughs) How does this happen? How do I have wondered this whole time? I'm like, I still listen, I I didn't even grow up in this country. I didn't even grow up in the United States, but I still read Spy Magazine when I was like in my I love the horoscopes, the horoscopes at the end where they it would be totally wrong. Yes. Like JFK, November 22nd, <laughs> New Horizons. Of, yeah, go ahead. But like, even I knew that Donald Trump was a douche and he wasn't even in my world at all, just through spy. Like, I've known he was the oh. world's biggest loser since I was a teenager and I didn't yeah. even grow up here. How can you? I know. I, know. I can't. I, my first day in New York, I got out of college and I'm going to Schmachting School mm-hmm. at Juilliard. And I, I go into, I don't know, you don't call it a, a locker room. <laughs> uh, you go, I go into like the changing yeah. room and these fourth year guys are like punching the lockers and swearing. And it was because they had spent, this is 1981. They had spent the summer working for this real estate guy who kept postponing paying them. And they had just confronted him. And he said, what are you, what are you going to do? You're actors. You know, what are you going to do? Sue me? Mm-hmm. And it was Donald Trump. That was my introduction. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. He's a, uh, like, uh, it's, uh, it, I think it's his, there's something hypnotic about a total lack of 
shame. It's like encountering somebody who's not at the mercy of gravity. Right. And and there's clearly something liberating. I know I, you've talked about like the professional wrestling mm-hmm. aesthetic. That's a good way to to understand him. You know, the, the stupid hair, the spray tan, the hot chicks wandering around in mm-hmm. high heels, the outrageous accusations, usually against, you know, in wrestling, it was, you know, the Sheik. Right. But now it's the squad. And I think part of his uh, makes him so attractive to people is they develop that same level of disbelief, like it's sort of real, but it's really fun. And then the Democrats, it's like, you know, we're doing civics and they're doing professional wrestling and it's just more fun the professional wrestling, except, you know, half a million. Where is this book? Oh, I just, my friend, I don't know. Uh, uh, it was a little thing for Andy Slavitt's oh, book. Nice. Do you know him? I do. Well, I don't know him, but. He was talking to Burks and to Fauci. He's a public health guy. And it's very clear. I don't understand why we're not saying it. It's because we're so distracted doing civics but but half a million human beings who did not have to die died because this moron refused because he thought it was a publicity problem to deal with it i mean Mm -hmm. it's it's extraordinary it is history i don't even i can't even imagine how history will speak of us in 50 years from now i can't i can't imagine anyway well and it's so you know seventy thousand votes in three states Mm -hmm. meant that your children if if you choose to remain in the united states you know the court is going to be a right-wing court through their entire life Mm -hmm. the consequences of you know and the the audacity i I, you know two at least two stolen Supreme Court seats. And, you know, we're hand wringing about, uh, you know, making an exception to the to the filibuster. There was no hand wringing when uh, Mitch decided not to uh, have a little carve out for the Supreme Court. There was none. Scary. How do you keep your emotions in check? Because honestly, the moment... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or do you? Because the moment you're you're talking about it, and my heart starts to beat, and I'm like, it's disgusting. I get so. Uh, I, I, listen, I go crazy. My kid, my kids worry about me. My wife worries about mm-hmm. me. Actually, twice. There's absolutely <laughs> nothing wrong. Uh, nothing wrong with me, but twice in the last couple of years, it, it usually uh, had something to do with shooting all nighters mm-hmm. but twice for the first time in my life twice i fainted oh and i am absolutely convinced you know and they you know you're terrified that it's like a heart attack mm-hmm. or a stroke mm-hmm. or you know they do all this neurological stuff and both times it was exhaustion right and i swear to god it's because all day every day 
you know, you live in fear and you feel like you have to look away. Mm -hmm. This, this is, uh, I am such a parody of myself. After Trump got elected, I was subjecting myself to the news so much relentlessly. And I felt like I I didn't want to look away, that it was too urgent to look away in the, in the wake of that election. And then two years into it, oddly watching a baseball game for fun to try and shake my Etch-A-Sketch. And like right next to the dugout, I can see on the field, it says like MSNBC. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I go up to the screen and I discovered when I bought my house, it came with this expensive television and I had been watching MSNBC so much that it had burned, burned. into oh my God. the two. Yeah, I had to get a new, a new television. Oh my God. And then I realized that I, I was dressing my wife like Katie Turr. I mean, it was just, it was not, it, it was not a good buying her like striped jackets. <laughs> it was not good. Okay. I feel like I get faint right now just thinking about like, remember when he came out, remember after he had COVID and he came out on the steps and he took his mask off like a big macho man, even though he couldn't breathe. Just wheezing, just wheezing. And that moment when he could have chosen to just lead by example, to just lead by example, he could not do it. Oh, and say this is serious and you may not have access to Mm -hmm. the health care that I have. Son of a uh, no, it's 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 mind boggling mm-hmm. in these like Lindsey Graham, uh, you know, Josh uh, Hawley, Ted, Ted. Oh, God, you yeah. know, they know better. Yeah, I know. I know. It reminds me of Larry oh, Gelbart mm-hmm. right before he passed away. One of the luckiest things I ever got to do was he invited me just to be part of a reading. It was, it was a mini, a limited series, which they weren't doing in our country back then. And it was all about the film industry in Germany mm. before the war. Mm. And Goebbels, uh, was it Goebbels who ran it? Um, anyway, uh, basically ran the film studios. And it was based on a real story of the Germans asking a young Jewish filmmaker if he would make this propaganda film, which would make his career, because that was basically bigger than Hollywood Mm -hmm. back then. And it was all about how people, uh, for their own self-interest, will sacrifice all integrity in the interest of gaining power. And I I always think of that with these idiots. When you do, it feels like... There's going to be a lot of movies, limited television series about the Trump years in the White House. Are we ready for that? Who, who are you going to play? <laughs> which, which character do you choose for yourself and why? Mm. Oh, oh, I don't, not, I don't think I'm ready. I think I said it and I don't mean it. <laughs> I don't think I want to watch. Uh, uh, I, I, I want to totally physically transform Mm -hmm. in that egotistical way that actors do Mm. where it's almost like they have a four-year consideration necklace on (laughs) Mm -hmm. and play uh, Stephen Miller, I think. Oh, fantastic. 
Yeah. Oh, well, you have played a lot of creeps in your day. Yes. Yeah, it is odd, I guess. <laughs> kind of a Ted Bundy thing. Oh, boy. And he is the ultimate creep. Um, have you, do you think, okay, Get Out, the film, a classic. Yes. Instantly, yes. almost instantly iconic, really. Four years later, can you talk a little bit about the, um, just switching gears for a sec, about the, the cultural impact of that movie? Do you think it would be possible for a film or a TV show to really capture the moment that we're living in right now? What moment are we living in? You know, I think it's really hard. What was interesting about Get Out, I remember we, we, we <laughs> I almost didn't do it mm. because, first of all, nobody thought anything was going to happen with that. Like okay. that was a, you know, a four and a half million dollar movie that shot in 21 days. Right. And it was an incredible script. I, I read it right where I'm sitting. I was like, oh my God. But you didn't know it was going to work. If you get the tone wrong, you know, sure. and you're being a smart ass racist, uh, it can be scary. So we didn't know. It, we ended up shooting in Alabama, where for the first time I saw a, on the crew, a lot of guys with Trump hats on. This mm. is in the early, early 2016. Jordan made that movie because he was so frustrated with the idea, uh, you know, back then, all, like all the Fox, you know, racism is over. Racism right. is, you know, is over with the election um, of Obama. So he he we made that movie with the full assumption that progress would, you know, would continue to be made because clearly Hillary was going to beat this moron so the movie took on this this kind of uh, heightened uh, got reaction when an openly racist mm -hmm. uh you know moron became leader of the free world i think in order for something to have that kind of power it needs um a, a kind of metaphorical displacement the way that movie does i don't think you're gonna get it in a um you know artfully done version of right. you know of trump well let me ask you this do you think that a show like okay well I wanna, i'll ask a question about the west wing then do you think that it gave people an unrealistic <laughs> expectation <laughs> about I, I, a functioning I, government I, and like how laws are passed or did did you just not account for a villain on the scale of <laughs> Mitch well, McConnell? Well, if I walked into the, I, I, the fakest thing about West Wing was that we had rational Republicans. Right. I mean, if I walked into the writer's room and I said, okay, you know, uh, it's a guy who's been, uh, who's married, you know, for the third time to a supermodel. He, uh, <laughs> he's, you know, bathes in man tan. His mm -hmm. hair is the color of bee crap. It's a terrible comb over. And he's outwardly racist and has <laughs> uh, inappropriate sexual feelings about his daughter. Mm -hmm. I would be, um, you know, it, it, it would have been... Uh, I, I think we should have pointed, we were afraid to be critical of Republicans right. uh, on that show. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, Trump is not an aberration, 
but is an extension of the party that, you know, sanctifies Ronald Reagan, who, you know, intentionally kicked off his campaign in, uh, you know, in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Um, I used to get like really defensive because everybody would say it was a fantasy. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were always on when the Sopranos were on. And I I don't think I ever said it out loud, but, but I would always think to myself, no, six people around a president who really believe in that guy, Mm -hmm. and unfortunately, including the Trump presidency, is not a fantasy. A hitman in therapy is a fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) It it would be very difficult. Uh, It would be very difficult to do that show now. I actually think it would be interesting and off the record Mm -hmm. in public. I've actually said to Aaron, I think it would be interesting to have these characters who were so basted in an idealism combined with a pragmatism. What do you do when you're confronted uh, with a party that is, you know, willing to politicize a pandemic? I think it would be uh, interesting to see that. I don't think we're ever going to do it. I feel like a lot of people turn to the West Wing during the Trump presidency just to yeah, just to experience progressive the, the comfort progressive of, porn. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was yeah. like just to watch competence, even like fictional competence, felt very yeah, necessary. It, it was like it was like listening to Kenny G when you're getting a root canal. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh my god, <laughs> you are so funny. Oh my god, I love talking to you. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I am gonna wrap things up. I want to finish talking about your documentary, which is. As the time that people are listening to this excellent episode will be available yes. for people to watch. Okay. Yes. Uh, video video on demand. I think if you go to notgoingquietlyfilm.com, okay. you can find out how to rent it. I, I, again, there's a lot of joy in this film. I've never been prouder to be connected with anything. And Adi is a fountain of light. Um, in darkness and shows you, he says at one point in the movie that he's willing to fight for democracy with his last breath, literally. And in a time of such cynicism, I think it's so important, you know, what we are facing now doesn't compare to what the great civil rights leaders were facing in terms of an intractable, you know, wall of repression. And we have to allow ourselves to be inspired by their bravery and their understanding that action is the antidote to despair. Maybe the challenge that, you know, on social is getting some Republicans and stubborn Democrat politicians to just like sit down and watch the documentary and then articulate fully for us why they don't support Medicare for all. Yeah, it is absolutely completely, uh, you know, if I walked out on the street here and shot uh, a bunch of people, I would have health care for life. If I worked, uh, you know, at at a factory and I got laid off and my kid got leukemia, Mm -hmm. I'm screwed. It's insane. It's insane. Mm -hmm. And it like even if you don't feel the moral imperative, what I don't understand is economically we it's a drag on our Mm -hmm. economy. We spend 17% of our GDP on this. I think up in Canada, it's like 
eight or eight, nine percent, and we have worse outcomes. It's crazy. How, what is yes. your? Uh, didn't everybody get inoculated? Uh, I thought that was quintessentially Canadian. They waited. They waited until um, I think there was a supply problem, and then yes. I think now they're ahead of Israel. Isn't that correct? I believe so. They've waited longer, it, and it was a supply problem. But now everybody's, you know, there's still anti-vaxxers in Canada. We're, you know, yeah, we're know. not completely without our own. Yeah, the Fords. The Fords, yes. You know, but what I will add to the the Medicare for All conversation is that it's also it's like it's it's a a, a burden economically, but it's a psychological burden too. Yes. It is an invisible backpack that everybody in this country wears that we don't wear in countries where there is Listen, I, universal health care. When, when I'm in Canada, I, uh, I, yes, you do have an anti-immigrant right wing kind of fascist group up yes. there. I, and I know where to find them in the crew. And I always search them out and I try to find somebody who who is upset about their health care, and I have not found them. They think yeah. we're insane. Even the nutballs up in Canada uh, think they're nuts. Do you, I got to work with Robin Williams a couple of times, and anytime anybody, mm -hmm. I think it was in his act, but anytime anybody in the cast or crew revealed that they were from Canada, he would do mm -hmm. this. He would say, Canada is like this really super sweet family that lives in this really great apartment on top of a crack den. <laughs> oh. It's like, oh, no, they're arming the teachers. Oh no. oh, no, they're making the teachers have bulletproof books. Oh, no. Oh, no, that's sad, eh? We still love their TV programs. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much. It, it was, was a pleasure. Anytime I hope I get to see you to again, you. please tell your father from the bottom of my heart that his ass looks great in those pants. That's you just he from I can hear him having a reaction to what you just said. Okay. I can hear him. We're a hundred miles away from each other right now. And he is beaming. He doesn't know what's happening, but he'll find out soon. Okay. Good. All right. Thank <laughs> good, good, you good. so much. Anytime. Take care. Be Have safe. a great day. Okay. I need to squeeze in another quick break here. Oh my God, he's so great. I love how much he loves Ron B. Oh, my dad's <laughs> going to die of, he's like going to die of happiness. We've got to get them together again. Oh, my, that was exciting. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah, no, that was wonderful. As you know, Bradley, starting the West Wing, which featured probably the most beloved fictional U.S. president of all mm -hmm. time, Jed Bartlett, played by Martin Sheen. So we wanted to know about some other fictional presidents and whether or not they would theoretically get your vote. Okay. <laughs> Okay. None of them so, <laughs> will get my Whoa. vote. No, I don't okay. know. Okay. Tough crowd. Yep, tough tough. Crowd. Sam's okay. not a voter. <laughs> I don't vote. Are you supposed to? Notoriously <laughs> anti-vote. Uh, well, well, you're going to want to hear, I mean, Harrison Ford in Air Force One has an amazing health care plan. So that's your first Harrison Ford in Air Force One. He's fighting terrorists. This is a favorite of Donald okay. Trump's, as you may know. <laughs> okay, I don't remember this movie at all. So he's on Air Force One. It gets invaded by terrorists oh, uh, led by Gary Oldman. Okay. Uh, they think he's escaped in a pod, but he actually stays behind and fights the terrorists. Okay, a pod? Would, what does that mean? Yeah, <laughs> like a little pod. <laughs> like they're they, quarantining together. That, that they shoot the president out of they the get, plane. They shoot, they have a... <laughs> does Air Force <laughs> One have a presidential torpedo? <laughs> 
I don't know. <laughs> I think like we like to believe that it okay. does. Like some kind of escape hatch. Maybe Pod is the wrong one. Well, word. I am not voting for him because he <laughs> didn't. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like he's mumbly and I don't think so. Mumbly? I'm just making it up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I can't ever. I don't. I don't get mushy over tv presidents and stuff okay yeah all right okay all so right. that's a no and he probably was incredible <laughs> all right another uh, another film yeah. president mm-hmm. would you have voted for morgan freeman in deep impact is that the one where <laughs> <laughs> is that a comet that's like a meteor, it's I a meteor yes. okay uh probably not no okay they're all just these like benevolent like they're it, they're too good to be true you can't okay, vote well, for I have someone people. for you that's very not benevolent. Okay. Julia Louis-Dreyfus. <laughs> no, she does <laughs> not get my vote. And in this case, I know the reasons why. Because <laughs> okay. I remember it. And she was not good. Okay. All right. What about Billy Bob Thornton in Love Actually? No. Yeah, <laughs> he was a no. creep. He probably was. <laughs> was he a creep? He's definitely been me too by now. <laughs> His character or Billy his Bob character, Thornton? His character. His character. <laughs> to clarify. Okay. I think I know where this is headed, uh-huh. but Bill Pullman oh, and Independence God, Day. No. no, he should have seen what was happening. Dealt with it. <laughs> All these motherfuckers should have seen what was coming. <laughs> Dealt with these issues before they happened. In the sky, get into your pod and shoot yourself across the earth back home. <laughs> All right. <laughs> last, last but not mm-hmm. least, uh, would you vote for, or would you want to get a beer with Aaron Eckhart in <laughs> the Olympus Has Fallen so movies? God, I don't trust our leaders. <laughs> <laughs> Even to have a beer with? <laughs> I don't drink beer, so this is yeah. not. Oh, God, I'm so sorry to just. I can't. I. I just. <laughs> this is why you and Kavanaugh would not get along. It's the only reason. Yeah. Because he yeah. loves beer. I'm kind of just anyone who wants to be president is probably just a maniac at heart. So especially the TV ones, the made up ones. So <laughs> no. No, no, no. That's terrible. What am I talking about? They're you know, all uh, it's because I'm sitting on the floor doing this podcast. And so my lower back says no <laughs> to all of your good ideas. Okay, I'll give all you. All the blood has left your head. Okay, fine. I'll vote for Morgan Freeman. Okay, there Yay. we go. <laughs> okay, I hope you liked my podcast. If you did, let me know in the comments. If you didn't, please consider hate listening in the future. But seriously, please rate, review, and follow Full Release and Apple Podcasts and tell your friends. Spread the word. Why not? In the meantime, keep sending us your comments and questions to fullrelease at samb.com. They might even be featured in one of our special bonus episodes exclusively available on Stitcher Premium. Don't forget to tune into Full Frontal with Samantha B. Wednesdays at 10.30 p.m. on TBS. This podcast is brought to you by Airwolf and TBS and was produced by Adam Howard and Svea Baron-Reinstein with research provided by Noreen Malik and IT and technical production provided by High Tech. It was edited by Julia Fott and hosted by me, Samantha B. He first became a household name thanks to his Emmy-winning role as Deputy White House Chief of Stash. Stash? No. Too much Not beer. Not that. Too much beer. <laughs> Joining me today is longtime film and television star Bradley Whitford. He first became a household name thanks to his Emmy-winning role as Deputy White House Chief of Staff, Josh Lyman, on the iconic series The Westwoods. But it, Westwoods? <laughs> oh, fuck. Fuck.